0: And you know what Generation Z loves? They love two things, quiet quitting and dancing on TikTok. Well, do you know that dancing on TikTok turns in to real changes in the brands and products they buy? Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Green, your podcast for how to grow in counterintuitive ways. I am your co host, Kip Bodner. I am joined, as always, by my co host, Kieran Flanagan. And, Kieran, we got a hot show today. We're talking about generational trends in brands. Here's my hot take for everybody listening. Today, we are going to talk about. What your brand can learn from the future of brands, from the future of generations, what they're looking for as they become more mature, become key buyers in our economy, and how you need to evolve and change your business strategy today to make that happen. This is going to be an awesome topic, Kieran. It's one of our favorite topics. We'd love to get to talk about the future. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Before we get started, we want to hear from HubSpot for just one minute. We'll be right back. Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI powered help desk and chat bots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit hubspot.com service to learn more. All right, we're back. Kieran, I shared some data with you earlier this week that I thought was very interesting. And we immediately were like, we have to talk about this on the pod. There was a new study released of the top brands for Generation Z. And so for folks who don't know, Generation Z is, you know, I think often called the TikTok generation, but they're the generation now that is largely high school through college right now in the world is Generation Z. And they have very different preferences in brands. And the number one brand on this survey in study, Karen, shocked me. Do you know what the number one brand was? Uh, I do. I'm happy that you brought that up. I think the number two branch
1: shocked me. So why don't you start with number one? And then we can talk about why that shocked you. And I can talk about why number two shocked me. Oh, I like
0: this. The most loved brand with Generation Z. YouTube. All aboard. Choo-choo. The YouTube train is going.
1: YouTube is crushing. The single best M&A acquisition of
0: all time. YouTube. I'm not surprised by that, by the way. I'm not surprised by that. Unquestionably. No, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I am surprised that you have this entire generation of people who are getting their content internet first and peer first. Mm. So if we want to think a little bit about what the future looks like for you and your business and your brand, you have to say that coming generations are very obsessed with user-generated content from peers and... Trusting peers and direct publishing much more than traditional media, which is what YouTube really personifies it. It democratizes the ability for people to share video on the web and build real audiences of video on the web. I have, I have an awesome Gen Z YouTube story for you, Karen. You, you want to hear it before we go on to the number two? I want to hear it. Yeah, so I I recently heard a song by a guy named Zach Bryan, who's a really up-and-coming, independent music artist in the the country music space. And I started researching him. And what's crazy about Zach Bryan is that he was a Marine. And when he was in service, he basically would post low-quality iPhone videos of his songs, basically like on a back porch, just him and guitar playing these songs. And he got mass following. He got, you know, millions of people to watch this because his writing and his voice are so unique. And what that's translated into is his most recent album broke all the Spotify streaming records. Bananas. If you want to go see him live, the secondary market prices for tickets are like well over $500 for like the worst tickets in amphitheater arena. And so it shows you that one, this peer to peer sharing of YouTube is just fundamental to how you actually build distribution and build your business. It also shows you that it has never been a better time to monetize an audience in history than right now.
1: Well, it's an erosion of the the middleman, right? The middle company. So yes. like you are really taking entertainment direct to consumer whereas I have talent, I have access to platforms, I can show my talent on platforms and that actually can help me get distribution I need to turn that into Real money, real career. The other thing that's interesting about YouTube being number one and like peer to peer, like people wanting to get their content from Mr. Beast, people wanting to get their, there's a really good study that shows yes. that Gen Z are predominantly starting to get their news from TikTok. Now, you can actually argue if that is a good thing or a bad thing, but what is actually happening for that generation is an erosion of trust in institutions. Yes and that actually has repercussions for brands right what happens if there is a overtime an erosion in trust in brands and i've seen other studies that have shown like even millennials and gen z don't trust brands don't trust brands material like they're you know they're what they say about themselves they don't trust their sales reps there is this erosion of trust i think that's super interesting to think about as you build a company that you want to be a generational company It's like, how do you like get over that? Or how do you like
0: build for that generation? So Kieran, I think that point of trust erosion is great. So if we're going through the show here, we talked a little bit about the power of distribution or the power of peer connections. And for that trust side, what those studies basically say is they don't trust traditional news media. They don't trust brands. They trust influencers and their peers. Yes. Right. And so if you are building a modern brand for the future, if you are not investing heavily in influencer marketing, in customer referrals, customer marketing, customer reviews, all of those things, customer advocacy. then you're not going to have the right trust signals to build a remarkable brand in the future. That's lesson number two of the pod today.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the tweets that really articulated this trend, really encapsulated this trend was from Amjad. Yes. He's the founder of Replit, which is a phenomenal company. And his tweet is, for the first time in history, it has become easier to turn attention into capital than capital into attention.
0: That is what is going on here. That is exactly what's going on here. Distribution and audience
1: is is harder to acquire. But boy, when you acquire that, you can build a multitude of businesses. Mr. Beast, a multitude of businesses. Kim Kardashian, a multitude of businesses. What just happened with Kanye West and Gap? Kanye West said, I don't need you. I don't need to brand anymore. Yeah, Get out of here, Gap. I can make my own clothes. I have my, I have my, my own clothes. I can make weird sunglasses and make people wear this weird stuff because they love me. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Shout out to Kanye West's uh, foam runners. Even though people think they are weird, I actually do like them and I'm buying myself a pair. But anyway, that is a side tangent. <laughs> I think this is the best articulation of what is happening in that it has never been so hard to acquire distribution in an audience. But why, when you have it, you can just monetize it in such a multitude of ways.
0: So I think there comes a third lesson of this podcast for everybody listening that Kieran just pointed out, which is you can't buy audience in the way you used to. You have to earn it. Yes. <laughs> you know, the reason what that, that tweet that Kieran just talked about is true is because... You can't just, if you have a bunch of money, go buy you know a lot of people who care about you. The only way you can get somebody to care about you now is through real, authentic ways. Building a product that changes people's lives, having a cultural point of view and stance for your business that enriches the lives of your community. All of those things are how you earn an audience versus even build an audience building an audience implies that you can throw money at the problem and yes you need money but money is necessary but not sufficient today used to be all you needed is money and now you actually have to earn that community you have to earn that audience through the right choices that you make within your business right right Karen, the number two, the number two company yeah. on this list really surprised you. And I know you wanted to talk about it. So I want to tee you up well to go into what that looks like. I want to talk about number two and actually number four. Please.
1: What is the narrative that you hear in Web3 or all of these different kind of within tech? You hear this really strong narrative is like, we don't like monopolies, right? They are using our data in ways where they get all the benefit. We do not get any of the benefit. They need to be disrupted. We need to figure out ways to actually disrupt those things and give power back to consumers. Consumers don't care about that stuff, right? They care that it's a really great product. It solves their problems and it's easy to use. And I've said this forever is like the things that we think users care about, they don't. Really what they care about is like, does this thing solve my problem? Is it easy to use? Like Amazon is a phenomenal company. We can agree or disagree that it's bad for business and it's bad for the fact that it's a monopoly, but for the user. I get stuff delivered to me every single day from Amazon because it's so easy to use. And that gets lost sometimes when you're in the world of tech and you are talking through all of the problems that you see about these large companies. And so I thought it was really interesting that Google was number two and Amazon was number four, but also like, wow, Google, like number one and number two, when you can't YouTube, the fact
0: that they actually own YouTube. Yeah. Well, I think that it was surprising to me, but when you unpack it, I think kind of the the next lesson uh, that I would tell people from this pod is another important way to build trust is removing friction from an experience. Right. That all these brands, what they have in common is they make it 10x easier to do this thing than the alternative way. It's, you know, without YouTube, it's really hard to have more than a couple people watch a video you made right? with Without Amazon, you have to go to a store and take all the time to drive and commute and battle traffic and all of those things, right? And so when you think about Customer experience as a lever to earn trust and build a brand that is going to become more important, not less important. So if you're out there, and I don't care what market you're in, and you're building a customer experience that's full of friction, that you're making your customers jump through hoops because you're trying to make an extra buck, or you're try, or you don't want to invest in in a technology improvement that's going to make their lives easier, you are decreasing your brand equity every time you make one of those decisions and anytime you make a decision to essentially make the customer experience easier you are increasing your brand equity and that is a very important thing to remember going forward yeah
1: yeah the other thing that i always think about is really interesting for youtube and tiktok is it really debundled creativity like if you think about the career path of having to create oh, yeah. comedic videos or create some of the videos in there, like the the comedic videos, the videos that are started to be supplemented with are using like AI editing to that's like really clever things. You would have to go through like college, work your way within the industry, like figure out how to network and then maybe get yourself onto a TV show as a runner and then be able to like work your way up to like earn the right to do something creative. Now you can just like pick up a camera or a phone and use some of these tools and do creative things each and every day. So I love the fact that actually it started to debundle creativity and everyone who has like some amount of creativity within them can actually like bring that out. So that we talk a lot of times about the, the bad of I love that. social media and the bad of those things, there's just so much There's there's so much good
0: when it's used correctly. Uh, well, for everybody listening and watching, that's the most positive Kieran has been in like weeks. That's my positivity for the day. So you feeling okay? You feeling okay yeah, over is, there? This is
1: my new thing I'm going to bring onto the show. Every week, there's going to be a little segment from Kieran, which is like,
0: be optimistic about the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna out, opt, out <laughs> optimistic, Kip. I am captain, captain optimism. So that's gonna be a hard task, but I'm totally here for it. Okay, so to close out the Gen Z brand survey, we'll we'll link up the the chart in the show notes so that you all can see the full listing of brands. The full listing of brands are less important than the trends that you see amongst the top brands and what they have in common. That Kieran and I just tried to break break down for you, Kieran. There's another generation out there, the millennial generation, which are the the next generation older than Gen Z. And there's been some interesting brand research come out around them that I know you want to share. You've got some hot takes and some strong opinions on. So tell everybody kind of the setup here for what the millennials are looking for. Millennials are really now starting to become key software buyers, service buyers, product buyers out in the marketplace.
1: Right, so over 60% of software buyers today are millennials. And there was this report came out, I can't recall the, the publication, but there was three stats that were really interesting in terms of how you build a go to market. And one of them I actually put on LinkedIn, there's been some really good feedback and questioning whether my point of view is like valid and I, I actually agree with them. So there was a, three stats. The first one is millennials are twice as likely to discover software through search than boomers. What does this tell us this is like just a continuation of the inbound like i want to take control of my education i want to take control of how i buy software i will search for those things myself and so for like b2b brands i think that play of like how do i own transactional search when someone is searching for the problem that i solve how do i own educational search which is like all of the different things i can teach that person it's still a cool play i think one of the pushbacks i got from an incredible growth leader product led growth leader elena verna who uh, came back on LinkedIn. And I'm curious to get your point of view and what Elena said, she just said, I would never like find or discover software through search anymore. Like I find it through my network. I find it through, I think I'm gonna increasingly find it through B2B social. And I think over time, search is really good for like demand capture, but actually just in terms of like a discovering software,
0: she thinks it will actually lose impactfulness over time. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, for me, I actually am more skeptical towards people And so I wanna use search to get a baseline list. You know, I wanna look and be like, oh, here, it seems to be like, here are the three to five players that are good in this problem that I'm trying to solve. And then I want to ask people on Twitter what they like, what they use. I wanna watch a bunch of YouTube videos and I wanna do my research that way. But I'm still, I'm gonna start with search every time, unless there's one caveat here, unless there's something new, that is just taking off. Like if I see something across five different people on Twitter in the same day, I'm gonna go check it out. Right, like if the word of mouth around something is high enough, but that second example on the social discovery side, it's for things I don't yet know that I want, right? It's like, oh, this thing is so cool. I don't know right. if I need it or not, but man, I want to go find it. Versus the search side of things, it's like I have this very specific problem it. and yeah, I need I- to figure out how to solve that problem. And anytime I'm clear on my problem, I'm, I'm starting with search. Right. I, agree. I think that's a really good way to delineate between those two
1: things. And the, uh, the other thing with that search that is people can be using search to like search for user reviews of products, right? It may not just be the vendor descriptions. Yes. It may be like user reviews and things like that. The second one was product-led growth was that <laughs> millennials trust, so, they trust themselves and they trust the use. They, they only trust products that mm. they have had experience with. Now in a traditional B2B world, they could never have had experience unless they actually had to buy that product first. Yes, And this is why PLG is actually so impactful because you can extract value in the freemium plan before you ever actually have to decide to upgrade and pay a dollar. And so I think that PLG motion for companies where it actually fits naturally, I think for a lot of B2B companies, it's still not a great fit. Like there's there's different reasons that it wouldn't be a large fit or a great fit, but where it fits naturally, boy, that is such a really incredible way to... Uh, attract millennials. And my kind of hot take is every generation that comes next will want two things. They will want the ability to use software and extract value prior to paying a dollar. And they will want a consumer-grade experience. They will want their software to feel the same as they feel about TikTok or YouTube or all of these different
0: B2C type apps they use. Yeah, 100%. I want to draw this contrast here much more for everybody listening. It used to be if you were... Generation X, for example, the the generation after millennials, to get really good at technology or software, for example, you had to go work at a company that had enough money to buy enough software that you could have an experience with it, build an opinion, build some skills and competencies around that now, right? And so what's happening today is, oh, I'm going through this educational cycle, and I can go and try and use all this software for free, whether I'm a startup or whether I work at a big company or anywhere in between, I can be way more informed than ever before about the software choices I make. What's going to happen next, and the next thing I would put out there for everybody looking to build a great brand in the future, is companies are going to provide more and more deep, deep education and certification on their software so that the Generation Zs of the world don't have to you know, maybe have a full formal college degree or a specific type of college degree and instead can go and spend dedicated time at their own learning pace to become an expert Mm. in this kind of technology. We're seeing that happen with HubSpot Academy right right now. And it's, you know, we've certified almost 500,000 people on HubSpot related best practices and software. And you're going to see that This is just the very tip of the iceberg that is going to keep growing exponentially in every industry. And if I was out there in my industry, I would be thinking about how I can become a leading education provider in my market.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like The more niche you go in your career and the better you can be like a world-class expert for a smaller category and make a ton of money versus being like average in a large category and the more nation specific you can go the better the other thing i'll quickly shout out just in terms of freemium i think one of the things companies who have plg can do is actually not even just have the freemium plan they could tell a story of how their products use in a really fun way i'll give you an example of a brand who are doing this what am i curious about right now going back to the curiosity episode why curiosity is a one billion dollar Skill. I always get obsessed by something. I was obsessed by chess. I still play chess. I'm trying to play blitz chess now. Kip, play chess, which means you have a five minute. <laughs> you have a five minute stop clock. You have to play it within five minutes. Is that chess for people with ADHD? Or yeah, it's, yeah, it's chess. Yeah, it's chess. actually that's. It's like, it actually, <laughs> that's, boom. It's like I, I can't focus for like twenty minutes. Shot clock anymore. I just need to do it all within five minutes. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's so much harder. Like it's so much. Harder. But I realized, like you know, I used to play poker, and I realized playing chess. Wow, actually a lot of this did apply to poker. So I got back into poker. There's a really great uh, poker company called GG Poker. And they have this really cool onboarding Mm. flow where you can actually, it's like going through a cartoon, but they take you through the product and actually teach you how to use the product. You don't have to sign up you don't have to do anything but you get the experience of what it feels like using a product as a user without having to actually give them any details give them a password and i think there's a lot of innovation to come in terms of how you can give people the true feeling of what it's like to be a user in your product the third one i wanted to get into and i want to give a quick caveat here kip yes i don't know if i, I don't know if i've ever told you the story but i want to tell analysts if you listen to this show I love you, analysts. Please do not uh, take this
0: as, as <laughs> Anytime you have to do a preface, it's well, not good. It's not good. It's not good.
1: There was this like earlier in my career, I won't get into the story now, but I upset this really well-known analyst <laughs> and it got me into a lot of trouble. It was predated HubSpot. And so they are a force, they are a force of nature in the B2B space. So there was a stat <laughs> inclusive in this report that Millennials trust analysts way less than boomers. And actually, I think Gen Z trusts them even less. Now, this just comes back to the very first Mm -hmm. segment of the show, erosion of trust in institutions. They much prefer to get something from someone they know, like validate a referral from their network, a referral from users that they know. They really don't trust analysts or or their analyst reports. I thought that was kind of interesting because like B2B, traditional B2B companies, like a very like, how do I actually get into all of these different kind of quadrants. They're really important. That's a lot of how people choose software. I thought that was an interesting stat in terms of like how that demographic of people feel about analysts and those reports that come out.
0: So look, I think what's interesting about that stat is that, you know, analysts serve a place in the market today, but they were much, much more impactful than than they even are today when it was a world where, you know, to use a piece of software, for example, it cost... $2 million to buy and implement this software. And so you needed somebody who had a deep rigor and thought on the market to help you make A perfect decision because you couldn't afford to make that decision incorrectly. And now that the costs of software has come down, as well as you can get started with so many technologies for free, there's less of a need for that. And then, so I think you're seeing the younger generation saying, Oh, I actually have a preference for people who have used that product in the way that I need to use it versus somebody who has done a bunch of research in how these products have been used, but maybe hasn't used them all in deep detail themselves, right? And I think that's the dynamic that's changing in the market. And what that tells you is that if you're a business, yeah, analysts matter, but just as much, if not more so, do your customers and your what your customers say about your product, how your customers advocate for your product. We've talked about customer advocacy, whether that be leaving online reviews for your product, whether that being great case studies and testimonials for your product, whether it be customer references on specific sales calls if you've got a, a sales team. Those are all ways that you build trust with the next generations of buyers, the Gen Z and the millennial buyers more customer advocacy, more customer proof as to how customers are being successful with your product.
1: Yeah, the only other one, it's not backed up by a stat per se, but my last point on this for the show is the power of stories. And so the example I would use for that yes. is the impact Netflix had on Formula One in the millennial and Gen Z space is really interesting. So F1 had declined in viewership five years in a row, actually plus five years in a row. And then Netflix Mm -hmm. made a documentary about them in 2018, and they breathed life back into that sport. And actually, if you see the viewership, not only did it increase, but millennials and Gen Z started watching it. Now, why is that interesting? Gen Z watched short form content. You cannot get any counter Mm -hmm. to short-form content than like watching Formula One, which takes two to three hours of cars going around and around and around in a track. And whoever has the best car wins. But it shows like people fall in love with the story first and then the product, right? Yes. So Formula One as a product was not that interesting to that demographic. Wow. And you actually create the story around the product and then actually give them the product much more interested in there, much more bought in. I think for brands, the way I would kind of sum that up is people buy the story, then they fall in love with the product and they validate the product with their
0: network. And if you can do those three things, you're going to build a generational brand. I love that. I think you missed one part from that metaphor there, Kieran, is characters. What the Mm, Netflix documentary around Formula One did is it turned the drivers in Formula One into characters. You can be interested in a story, but to have real sustained interest in a story you have to have a a emotion towards the characters of that story. Right. right, And it's actually where so many brands go wrong is in not having clear characters of their story. And your characters can be your customers, your executives, can be a, oh, they can be influencers, they can be uh, many different types of people. But if if you are absent of those characters and you're just trying to have your brand be the sole character in that story, it's a very hard story to tell when you have one character. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think I've seen companies who have made their execs like they have a really
1: incredible founder, or even Shopify have an incredible Carly uh, who's the president, or they it's either really like they have incredible execs with a very strong point of view and a strong vision, or they have incredible customers that they make into the heroes, or you kind of have a combination of the both. But I love that point, which is like, yeah, you can't tell the story without really great characters that people fall in love with. I
0: completely agree with that. So if, we, if we're thinking back to today's show, what we did is we took some really interesting research around how Gen Z and millennials is thinking about brands and thinking about buying experiences. And we unlocked, I think, some important lessons for everybody listening of, of what you should think about and do differently. One, think about the trust around your brand, and you're going to build trust not by telling everybody that they should trust you, but by having customers and influencers work on your behalf to build a trusted brand. We talked about audience, that you have to earn your audience. You can't go out and buy that. Kieran gave a great tweet around how it's easier to monetize attention than it is to buy attention. And that is 100% true. And so think about from a business perspective, the stories you're going to tell to earn that attention in the market and build a real durable brand. We learned about how analysts have an important role, but a diminishing role with some of the younger generations as we look to more free and product-led growth technologies and products that you can try before you buy. And if you're trying to build a generational company, how can you give your product experience to your buyer before they actually pay for it is going to be a big, big opportunity. What else would you add in there, Kieran, as we're as we're closing out?
1: I think the story part... The part that we ended on, a strong story, incredible characters, have people fall in love with the product because it demonstrates how those characters are intertwined in the product and then show how the characters are intertwined in the product. And then you validate that with people saying great things about that product within your network. And I think that's how you build real momentum. And this show really shows, Kip, that we are done with the Gen Z crew. We're on the TikToks. (laughs) We're, We're in there on the TikToks. Come watch us and, we're and on like TikTok. the TikTok. We're, we're going to be on. We're
0: we're about to be on YouTube. We're doing a lot of YouTube production work behind the scene. We are validating, and you know what? We may not be Gen Z, Kieran, but we have a lot of the same what? habits. We like where where they're going. We look. We love. We love to conform. How many, you and I watch a ton of YouTube. For example, YouTube is one of our favorite platforms and play favorite brands. I live on YouTube. That's why I wasn't surprised. I'm, I live the, YouTube. YouTube is my number one pick. I live on YouTube for better or worse. Same here. YouTube is becoming one of the most important channels for how I learn things. And so, if that tells you anything, the last thing we talked about is how people discover new things. And yes, they're going to use traditional search, but they're also going to use YouTube. And they're going to use social to discover things more and more. So you need to be across those channels. If you're just in one of them, you're only giving yourself exposure to part of the audience, part of the market that's really out there for your product or your service. So. With that being said, I thought this was an awesome segue into a topic that doesn't often get talked about, which is how people across generations perceive brands and and the companies that they want to work with. And that has been awesome. Kieran, thanks for the dose of optimism today. Optimistic Kieran. Hashtag Kieran, optimistic Kieran. Uh, Let's go. (laughs) And until next time, this has been Marketing Against the Grain. Thanks, everyone.